0: Welcome to the Daily Bible Podcast, a show intended to help you get more out of your everyday time in the Word. This is a ministry of Compass Bible Church in North Texas, and if you'd like to join along with our daily Bible reading program, you can do so by going to compassntx.org and clicking on the Daily Bible Reading tab. Thanks for coming in for today's episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Hey, welcome to another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Welcome back, everybody. It is June thirteenth. It's Tuesday. And uh, 2023, you you survived Monday. So, welcome back. And we're glad that you're here. And uh, we are back in the book of Ezra. And Mm. if you tuned in yesterday, then we kind of gave you a warning on this one that this was, Uh, yeah, yeah. I know, I don't know what to expect, right? Because it could have been a six
1: or a seven or an eight. Or an eight. You basically went through the whole number system.
0: (laughs) Yes. There's a few numbers before six and a couple after eight, but basically the whole number system. (laughs) Yeah. Um, which we didn't cover the book of numbers this time around, but but next year, next year, we'll hit the book of numbers, speaking of numbers, but we're not in numbers. We're in Ezra. And, uh, if you joined us yesterday, we kind of introduced this idea that this decree from Cyrus went, went out that the people could go back and chapter two listed a bunch of those people and all those names and those numbers and everything. And then we get to chapter three and they, they go back. And one of the first things that they do is they rebuild the altar, uh, which is interesting because they don't have the temple yet. Mm-hmm. They want the altar, but they don't want, or they don't have the temple yet. But when we think about the significance of the altar, the altar was where the offerings took place. Right. Um, think of of Abram when Abram was called by God and he left his homeland and he went into the land of Canaan for the first time and he came to Shechem. Uh, one of the first things that he did there, one of the things that he did at, at Shechem was he constructed an altar to worship God. Uh, there's significance to that. And it was uh, a significant thing for Israel to go back and they were going back to restore the right worship of God. And they weren't going to wait around until they had an edifice to put the altar you know, inside this building and, and begin to do the, the sacrifices there. They wanted to get after sacrificing to the Lord right away. Love that zeal. Also, because they were there amongst people that weren't necessarily going to be friendly to them right it says there that that they experienced the fear of other people which drove them towards the completion of this altar Uh, they wanted to begin to make sure that they were seeking god as we've talked about so many times in chronicles because they were stepping back into a place where there was going to be some hostility as we'll see Mm -hmm. quite a bit in this section as it goes on then in in chapter four we need to do this is where we need to put our thinking hats on a little bit Uh uh-oh because in chapter four, it, it says right there off the bat, now when their adversaries, the enemies of Judah and Benjamin heard that the return to exiles were building a temple to the Lord, the God of Israel, uh, they didn't like it. They didn't like it. And they come to Zerubbabel and they want him to stop. And so eventually what they end up doing is they they try to usurp him by going to the king. Well, Darius, you'll remember, is the one that was on the throne in in and uh, the one that had, had given the decree that they could return to begin the rebuilding of the temple. But then in, in chapter 4, in verse 5, they, they're bribing the, the counselors, and then we get to verse 6, and then all of a sudden, there's this new guy on the throne, a, as a weres, or a, as a weres, or however you say his name. Ahasuerus is
1: Ahasuerus how I've heard it? Xerxes? I've heard it both ways. Let's do it that way.
0: Xerxes. Xerxes is on the throne, and we're going, wait a minute, what, what happened to Darius? And then shortly after Xerxes in verse seven, you've got Artaxerxes is now on the throne. What? And if if you begin to do a little bit of digging, you will realize that we've all of a sudden jumped out of order chronologically here because down in verse 24 of chapter four, we're back to Darius. So you've got Darius in, in verse four, then you've got Darius in verse 24, but from verse six to verse 23, you've got Xerxes and Artaxerxes. And so there's this, chronological uh, parentheses, if you will, that's inserted into the text here to further explain the opposition that the Israelites were up against. Uh, the opposition in verses 6 through 23 is really going to be more focused on the rebuilding of the wall that's going to come later. Uh, but right here, the the author wanted us to know that this opposition was intense, that there was a lot behind this, and that this was not just somebody, you know, calling names every once in a while, but they were doing everything that they could do to, to thwart the Israelites from doing what was right according to God, and that is getting this temple rebuilt, And that's something that we run into even as believers today. When we want to do something that honors the Lord, there's always opposition. Always resistance. Waiting for
1: us. Yeah. So one thing that I think about immediately, Pastor PJ, is reading my Bible. I mean, and that's why people are here. And I'm grateful and I'm proud of you for making time to open up this podcast and read your Bible along with us. But I I don't know about you. I wake up in the morning and there's always something in me that would love to just do something else. Right. I I read my Bible first thing, but there are times uh, where I would much rather sleep in. I would much rather cozy up with another book. There's always a resistance when I want to do something good and godly.
0: And and that's part of what Jesus was saying even the, the Christian life is like, right? When he said broad is the way that leads to destruction and easy, wide and easy is the road that, that leads to destruction. And he says it's hard and it's mm. narrow is the, the path that leads to eternal life. Right. Um, and so we Christians are swimming upstream in this culture, in this world, but not just from the culture in the world, but also from our, our flesh. Right. Our flesh is going to battle against us every single day uh, to try to convince you that you don't need to do your daily Bible reading today. You don't need to pray today. You can start praying tomorrow. Mm. Uh, you know, that that procrastination that, that can creep into us and go, oh, well, or I remember being a younger man and thinking, oh, well, I'll be more godly when I get older. Right. And, and godliness is not like Physical maturity, physical maturity. We, your your bodies naturally grow up, and you don't have to do a lot of work to cause your bodies to grow up physically. It's it's just part of growing up. It's part of the way that God designed the body. Spiritual maturity is different. It doesn't happen the same way. It, you're not going to go to bed tonight not having invested in your walk with Christ and wake up tomorrow a more godly person. It, it requires doing the hard stuff, even through the opposition,
1: so that we can be more like Jesus as a result of it. So great job being here, and I applaud that. But pray that God would give you even greater strength and determination to keep making progress in your life. Someone once said that you're either making progress in your walk or you're regressing. You're never neutral. You're never just static. Therefore, let me encourage you. Let us both encourage you. Hey, good job. Keep going and do all the more. Increase in your love for God and your knowledge of the faith.
0: Absolutely. Like Paul told the Thessalonians, he said, hey, you know what? You guys are loving each other really well. I don't even need to write to you about that. But he said, Excel still more.
1: Excel still more. Keep
0: going. I love that phrase, excel still more. Well, back in our text, there's this opposition, and then the opposition, it says- They're successful. They they are successful. In fact, in verse 24, it says, the work on the house that God had Mm. in Jerusalem stopped, and it ceased until the second year of Darius, the king of Persia. That's a bummer, man. But Israel wasn't going to be thwarted for too long, because- in verse five, it, they they under the the prophetic influence of, of Haggai and and uh, and Zechariah, there the, the rebuilding of the temple re- continues. It it picks back up. It resumes, and the people that are there are thinking to themselves, "Well, wait a minute. We, we need to do something about this to get them to stop again." So they they write a letter, or possibly I guess maybe two letters, uh, to to try to thwart this. And they write the letter uh, back to Darius. This or again back with Darius. Remember there was that parenthetical time with Xerxes and Arctic Xerxes. But now we're back with Darius. We're back with the one that sent the exiles to begin with. And they're writing to him to find out, Hey, did you really, is this really what you said was, was okay? Because here's what's going on here. And maybe there should be this careful search and inquiry to find out what, what we
1: should be doing with all these people. Yeah. You'll notice if you, if you're paying close attention here, these guys had paused for about 15 years. Uh, so they, they stopped building this, uh, This edifice about 537 B.C., they begin again under the ministries of Haggai and Zechariah, which if you're paying attention to that, you'll notice that there are two books that bear their name. Those are the same people. So if you want to get a fuller context of what's being said during this time to the post-exilic community, you should read those books. Haggai is also very short. You would do well to read Haggai at least because that one you could do in like three minutes. Zechariah is going to be a little more investment on the front end, but it'd be worth it to get a sense of what's happening here and why they're experiencing the kind of opposition that they are hey guy, hi guy? Hi, ha guy ha hagi? hey guy i ha- haggis not haggis haggis uh, something that's different hey guy
0: ha hi- guy anyways th- that's why you tune in for moments like that right no it's not pronunciation tips exactly pastor pj exactly.
1: and titles and titles <laughs> titles and pronunciation tips
0: titles well i can't improve upon the title that john gives us in john chapter 20 uh because it's just simply the resurrection and uh, that is the greatest right that is that is uh, think the of greatest. the apostle paul in first corinthians 15 this is what makes everything worthwhile as christians You know, Paul said, if if Christ hasn't risen from the dead, what are we even doing?
1: Our faith is in vain.
0: Our faith is in vain. And and I I find it interesting the way he says, we are most to be pitied amongst all people because we're going through this life, as we just talked about a minute ago, doing hard things and fighting our flesh and battling uh, uh, upstream in the face of opposition for nothing. But in fact, as Paul says, and as John records here, Christ has been raised from the dead. First day of the week, Mary Magdalene goes to the tomb. And she looks inside, she sees that there's no body there and she runs and tells Peter and John and Peter and John go and, and John takes that little dig at Peter on the way where he's like, <laughs> but the, the other disciple got there first. Um, and, and they go in and, and it says they, they saw the empty tomb and they, it says they believed. Uh, they believed. And, and I think that's John, important for John us believed, to, yeah, that's important. Right. John believed. He saw and believed. And I think that's important for us to remember that the, the disciples' faith was a progressive faith at this time. I think sometimes we can read the gospels thinking that they knew the whole thing back when Jesus was walking on water, turning water to wine, totally. all that stuff. And they didn't. And Luke 24 records that even more so, where you see uh, the the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, and they're they're disappointed because they thought Jesus was going to be the Messiah, Right. And and we see that here a little bit too. And yet there's the joy and and the the joy that floods them when they realize and John specifically believes and that's why John wrote this gospel is in order that we might believe, right? In fact, he says that later on in John chapter 20 and verses 30 through 31. He said, Jesus did a lot of other things, which I haven't written in this book, but these are written that you might believe Mm -hmm. by the one who himself believed because he was an eyewitness. That's right. As it goes on there, uh, Jesus then appears to Mary Magdalene, and you might think, is is there significance there? And I think there is significance there because um, she's the first person to see the resurrected Christ is Mary Magdalene, and, and she was not a woman of, of great repute, repute in society, right. and, and even more so, there's a, an apologetic argument that's contained right in this passage because the, the testimony of women at this time was not held in high regard even if she was a woman in good standing, mm-hmm. but even more so the fact that she had had a checkered past herself. And then she's a female on top of that for her to come back and be the first one to bear witness that Jesus is alive points to the reality. If John was just making this up on the fly, wouldn't have chosen a woman. No way. He would have made it Peter or himself or somebody else, or maybe right. Nicodemus would have been the guy right to show up. Somebody with kind of more societal clout. And so there's a, a boost to our faith there, even in the fact that it's Mary, Jesus appears to the disciples. Then you've got doubting Thomas um, and then the the great statement at the end there, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. Um, just a, an in, incredible um, account here from from John, from the eyewitness. Again, I appreciate John because John was there through it all. John never ran away from Jesus and didn't leave the cross, and he saw the the lifeless body of Jesus being taken from the cross and laid in the tomb, and now He's there, and he gets to see the empty tomb, and, and that faith kicks in, and that faith engages.
1: So one of the cool things that I see John doing in this chapter that you're talking about, Pastor PJ, is really pointing all of us to that same decisive moment that Thomas came to. When Thomas is confronted with the risen Christ, he responds appropriately. Now, he, he said some things before that. Where was he? Why was he not with the disciples? Why, why was he not in the bright place at the right time? We don't know. But we do know he's here. He sees Jesus, and his response is famous. My Lord and my God. And then immediately after, we have John's purpose clause for the book. So mm-hmm. what is he looking for from us when he says, I want you to believe that Jesus is the Christ? He wants us to affirm the same thing that Thomas says, my Lord and my God. So going back into what we were talking about earlier, if he's Lord, does he get to call the shots for your life? Mm-hmm. Does he get to call you to go to church on Sunday? Does he get to call you to go to that Bible study? And if so, man, that's that's where the real change happens. That's yep. what's really going provi- to uh, provide provide the kind of uh, faith substance that you're looking to grow in your life. Yeah. One quick exegetical
0: note, back in verse 17, uh, Jesus, in talking to to Mary, says, I am ascending to my Father and your Father to my God and your God.
1: What? What?
0: That can be a a hiccup to us if if we're kind of going there. Why does Jesus call him my God? Why does he do that, Pastor PJ? Here's what we need to do first and foremost. We need to let Scripture interpret Scripture, right? And so that's one of the most fundamental principles of studying the Bible. And we know in John's gospel, John has made it clear in his opening, the equality of the son with the father. Um, Jesus has made it, it clear himself in, especially in John chapter five, John chapter six, that he and the father are one um, as the father has, has authority to judge. So he's given the, the son authority to judge as the father gives life. So the son gives life. So there Jesus has already plenty of times borne clear public testimony. To the fact that there is no discrepancy between him and the father, that they're equal together as God what i think he's doing here is pointing to the roles contained within the trinity and i think as he says i'm going to my father and then he calls him my god there's the 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 role with where the son even in and and paul brings this out in 1st corinthians 15 at the very end of 1st corinthians 15 he starts talking about everything will be subjected to christ who is and then then jesus himself will take everything and subject it to the the father so that the the father might be all in in all so that the mm. father might get all of the glory and i think that's an element here that we see um from jesus even still in his his humility so to speak here in in referencing god as his god here it's not saying that he's less than or not as much god but it's
1: the the role of the son to the father right the, the acknowledgment that there are different roles and and that they play different functions that they have within Within the Godhead, but don't be discouraged, Christian. If you're reading those things and you get head scratching, kind of figuring out what's happening, how how is this work, and is is God the Father better than Jesus, and is there is there different kind of interactions? What Pastor PJ said is so important. We trust what the Word of God says. It interprets itself, and what's abundantly clear. Because the Father is God, Jesus is God, and the Spirit is God. How we put them together is difficult and challenging, but we're talking about the essence of the Godhead, the creator of the universe. It's not going to be easy, but that's okay. Yep. We
0: are grateful for you guys. We're grateful for your time. Yeah, we are. We're thankful that you have entrusted us to help you walk through the scriptures for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. See ya.